0: Hello and welcome to the latest CSF podcast on actual arthritis. We'll be bringing you new episodes on a monthly basis alongside our RA and PSA podcasts. And we'll also be supplying you with monthly slide decks to help you keep up to date with the latest research and publications in the field of actual SPA. First of all, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Sophia Ramiro. I'm a consultant rheumatologist and senior researcher at Zouderland Medical Center and at Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands. With me uh, now today, we have Professor Atul Deodar, Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology Clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health Science University in Portland, USA, as well as Professor Hideto Kameda. Professor on Internal Medicine at uh, Toho University. And of course, if you want to find out more about us and the papers we will be discussing today, please head over to the CSF website, www.cytokinesignalling.com. So Atul, over to you and I think we can get started. Tell us what we will be discussing today, please.
1: Yeah, thank you, Sophia. Our first paper describes the safety and efficacy of Ixikizumab treatment in patients with radiographic XLSPA and non-radiographic XLSPA for up to 156 weeks, and I will describe that. And our second study today goes on to assess the safety and efficacy of Tidrakizumab. This is the P19 uh, IL-23 inhibitor in patients with active ankylosing spondylitis. So the first paper is titled Long-Term Safety and Efficacy of Exekizumab in Patients with Axial Spondyloarthritis, Three Years' Data from the COST Program. So the background is like this. Uh, For patients who are receiving long-term treatment, determining the safety profile of a biologic from multiple studies and long-term extension studies is of utmost importance. This study reported the safety and efficacy of patients with Radiographic and non radiographic excess spondyl arthritis for up to 156 weeks in Coast Y. And this Coast program is somewhat complicated. So let me explain. Coast Y is a long term extension, it's a two year extension of three originating studies. And these three originating studies were all 52 weeks long. Those are Coast V, Coast W, and Coast X. COST-V and COST-W were the studies in radiographic SPA, COST-V was biologic DMARD-naive. COST-W was biologic, actually TNF inhibitor experienced, both 52 weeks. And COST-X was the non-radiographic SPA. These are all biologic DMARD-naive patients. All these uh, three studies are 52 weeks. And after they were over, then the patients rolled into COST-Y, which was further two-year long-term extension. So the three-year extension is one year in the originating study and two years more. So in COST-Y, patients continued with the dose received at the end of the originating study. And remember, there were two dosages, 80 milligrams of Ixacizumab either every four weeks, which is the dose which is approved for the treatment, or even every two weeks. Starting at week 116, which is week 64 of COST-Y, Patients receiving exequizumab every four weeks could be escalated to every two weeks if required. And the safety of patients for patients who received at least one dose of Ixacizumab and also efficacy was assessed in this paper that I'm describing. So the safety and efficacy of Ixacizumab in XLSPA were analyzed in the subset of patients who received more than one dose of Ixacizumab during the three-year COST study. So the results are as follows. So all patients, all patient groups receiving Ixikizumab every four weeks were assessed through three years. They saw sustained improvement in the ASDAS score and ASDAS CII or ASDAS clinically important improvement, as well as other efficacy endpoints. 932 patients received more than one dose of Ixikizumab between week zero of the originating study and week 156. 82.9%, so 83% actually entered COST-Y. These are 773 out of 932 patients. So 83% patients entered COST-Y after completing their one-year originating study. And 67.7, so 68% completed the complete three-year COST program. So that gives you an idea of how many patients stayed in the study. The conclusions are the three-year safety profile, which is the most important one of ICSI in the COST program was consistent with the previously established long-term safety profile. And of course, we are concerned about inflammatory bowel disease, and I can tell you that it was 0.8 per 100 patient years. And the um, candida is we are always concerned about, and this was all sort of, it was oral candida, esophageal skin candida, vulvovaginal candida. It was, it was total 0.8 also per 100 patient years. And that was the more interesting part of it. Otherwise, uh, there were three deaths which were unrelated in this whole program. Um, There were not many. uh, The um, uh, uveitis rate was 2.8 per 100 patient years. So exicizumab, once every four weeks, provided a sustained improvement of the disease activity in the patients who received it for three years. And the safety profile, as I said, was quite consistent with what we have known from the um, other studies done on ixekizumab, So um, I will open it for discussion if you have any questions for me or anything you want to ask.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Atul. I think these are very important data because when we have uh, long-term studies or when we have a trial, we are interested in long-term follow-up, particularly (laughs) for safety. So I I think you already emphasized that safety uh, was reassuring in terms that actually no new safety signals were uh, found in this uh, long-term extension, uh, correct?
1: Yeah. um, Interestingly, so as I said, there was one group which received every Q4 weeks, which is how we use Ixagizumab. There was one group which received Q2 weeks. And we also looked at whether there was a difference because, of course, Q2 weeks patient received double the dose of Ixikizumab for three years. And the uh, numbers that I quoted for infection, mostly candida, of course, and other infections as well, they were not increased in Q2 week compared to Q4 week, which is point number yeah. one. Point number two, I quickly want to make is injection site reactions. Now, this is an old preparation of uh, Ixikizumab. They have changed the Um, the components of the drug, and now the uh, injection site reactions are less, but this is the old one. Injection site reactions did double, of course, uh, in the Q2 week. But beyond that, Q2 week and Q4 weeks, there was not much difference.
0: And in terms of uh, the duration of the trial, especially, for example, the the candidiasis, were they occurring more in the early phases of treatment of later or later phases? Do you have that information?
1: Yes. Uh, great question. And we did look at uh, first year, second year, third year, and there was no yeah. difference. It was flat. So it, it's neither going up nor going down either. It's quite uh, s- stable sort of. It's not. Uh, yeah. So great question. We we did look at year to year changes. Yeah.
0: And after a period of three years, I think malignancies also start being uh, a, an important topic because we know less about IL 17 inhibition on long-term malignancies. Do you have uh, yeah. information on that? So,
1: yeah, there were hardly any malignancies. There were one or two, and I can't yeah. uh, offhand remember those. Um, same thing with MACE, same thing with depression. Yeah. The uh, three deaths, there was one suicide uh, among the three deaths. One was homicide, sadly, and one was sepsis. Uh, but overall, there was no increase in malignancies or depression or uh, or ischemic heart disease.
0: Okay, I think these data are reassuring. Thank you very much. I think now yeah. over to you, uh, Ireto.
2: Okay. So when we compare the three study groups, we always see that the best response for bio-naive radiographic actual spur as compared with our bio-experienced, or bio-naive non-radiographic. So when we compare non-radiographic versus radiographic actual SPA, why radiographic patients shows a better response than non-radiographic? For arthritis usually earlier the better, they say. But for actual SPA, it's yeah. not. <laughs> so some population difference or some homogeneous or heterogeneous populations?
1: yeah i mean it's a um, great question hideto i i build a couple of ways i can answer this question number one is that uh, the non radiographic uh, we are finding there is a creep up of placebo responses for some reason the newer studies the placebo responses are going up and up and patients are expecting more responses from the drug And uh, that's why the delta between the placebo and the active drug is becoming less. And this is, we are seeing this across in rheumatology. We are seeing this in rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, axial SPA, non-radiographic axial SPA, that patients expect more from biologics and there is a creep up of the placebo response and the delta becomes smaller. The second thing is the non-radiographic axial SPA patients we don't really specifically look for other causes of pain, i.e. central sensitization, fibromyalgia, et cetera. And I'm not saying those are that problem is less in uh, radiographic XLSPA, but in, in uh, non-radiographic uh, XLSPA, there may be some few patients here and there which may have predominant central sensitization, fibromyalgia, et cetera. And that, of course, the outcome measures that we have um, ASIS-20 and, I mean, ASDAS, apart from CRP, everything else is patient-driven. And uh, that kind of makes it, uh, sometimes the responses are less because they are the patients with central sensitization are not responding. Okay, thank you, Atul.
0: Another comment on that, Atul. What do you think about the fact that uh, we are wanting to diagnose our diseases in an earlier phase? So mm. in a phase of non- non-radiographic phase, which, of course, poses some more challenges. And I think it's yeah. no shame to say that even among experts, it's a diagnosis yeah. that is not always uh, straightforward. So yeah. can we also consider that as a potential uh, explanation or contributing to, to this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Sophia, the uh, treatment recommendations that you authored uh, for ASAS and ULAR, it does say this is one important thing there, a new one, is that uh, if the patient is not responding, go back and look at yourself and, and see that whether the diagnosis is correct. Rheumatology is a branch of uncertainty. And I always tell this to my fellows. This is my famous sentence. All my fellows will tell you. It's a branch of uncertainty. And we, even though we make the diagnosis, there is this kind of gray area, yeah or nay or maybe, et cetera, et cetera. And so no shame in going back and relooking at your own diagnosis because you think, I'm pretty confident this is, but I'm not 100% confident. And then go back and, yeah, we should change the diagnosis. It becomes a little bit difficult from the patient's point of view to accept that the doctor doesn't know what he or she is talking about. But that's the reality of our branch of medicine.
0: Totally agree with you. you. That's exactly why I made this comment.
1: Yes, I totally agree. Okay.
2: So, on to the second paper entitled, a randomized, double-blind placebo-controlled phase two-way study of teutrakizumab, efficacy and safety in patients with active ankylosing spondylitis. The study background, the interleukin-23 and 17 pathway is implicated in ankylosing spondylitis pathogenesis, and interleukin-17 and R-23 inhibitors have been assessed as treatments for ankylosing spondylitis. R-17 inhibitors, such as secukinimab and ixekizumab, are approved for treatment of ankylosing spondylitis. But to date, R-23 inhibitors, risankizumab and stekinimab, have failed to show clinical efficacy in patients with ankylosing spondylitis. So, this study evaluated the efficacy and safety of tilsakizumab, an anti-R-23P19 monoclonal antibody, which has been approved to treat moderate to severe plaque psoriasis in patients with ankylosing spondylitis. So, for the methods, the study was a three-part, seventy-two-week, multinational, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled phase two a study. The study comprised first a double-blind placebo control period from weeks zero to twenty-four in which patients with active AES aged 18 or over were randomized one-to-one to to tildarkizumab 200mg or placebo every four weeks after screening period from week minus four to zero. The second, a 28-week follow-up treatment period. Between week 24 and 52, where all patients received tildarkizumab 200mg every 4 weeks. And the third, a 20-week washout period between week 52 and 72. So, we are moving to the results. Tudorakizumab treatment was generally well tolerated with no unexpected safety findings. Instance of treatment emergent adverse events was generally similar between treatment arms. The majority of treatment emergent adverse events were mild or moderate in severity, and no deaths were reported during the study. At week 24, the answers 20 response rate was 74% in patients receiving tildarkizumab, 200 mg versus 80.4% very high in placebo-treated patients. So, as you see, the primary endpoint was not met, and the study was terminated after the week 24 interim analysis due to lack of efficacy. In addition, the changes from baseline in spine and sacroiliac joint MRI scores did not differ significantly between treatment arms at any of the time points analyzed. So in conclusion, the R23-R17 signaling pathway has been implicated in AES pathogenesis. Although no safety issues were identified, tildakizumab treatment did not reduce AS disease activity or improve MRI findings in the spine and sacroiliac joints. The failure of tildakizumab to show clinical efficacy in AES confirms results of previous studies of stekinimab and Rysankismab. In light of these findings, the role of R23 in the pathophysiology of this disease should be revisited to explore the possibility that AES is regulated by R23-dependent and R23-independent pathways in specific disease or at different times. So. Now it's convincing that our twenty-three p nineteen inhibitor is not well work for at least radiographic actual spot patients. So, what your comment from Atu or Sophia?
0: Thank you very much, uh, Ideto. Uh, very clear indeed. I think it's uh, more and more convincing that it doesn't work. Uh, that was also the previous evidence that we already had, as you mentioned. Although I have to say that with this trial, I can't help being questioning a placebo response of 80% and a placebo response that is higher of the one from the active treatment. I I think that can only raise questions. Actually, I'm happy that uh, uh, Atul mentioned uh, uh, in the previous discussion, the fact that we are seeing increasing placebo responses, that is true but this is beyond anything seen before and and to a point that I think it can only raise questions. Do you have any explanation for this?
2: So we are very lucky because in this study, we have MRI score, both spine and MRI. So we are convincing that our 23p90 inhibitor tilzarkizumab is not working for this patient. Yes. such kind of objective findings or objective um, methods is very, very important for this kind of study. Totally (laughs)
0: agree with you. I think that was very good in this study that we, there are no doubts that it doesn't work, but still I can see the placebo responses of 80% very worrisome. If right, right, yeah. I was a drug regulation authority, <laughs> I would be worried about this. So I, I and this is not representative. So that's the point I want to make. Although Atul was telling us yeah. that placebo responses are increasing, I think you don't recognize this type of placebo responses either, right, Atul?
1: Is is absolutely stunning. And so Hideto, do you do you know uh, or did you read what, what which countries were mostly represented? Yes. Where, where did the patients come from? And, and I believe that are United States, mostly, really. Mostly. I think so.
0: There were four countries that I remember where the patients were recruited from. It was Poland, Spain, Hungary, and United States. Yeah, it's only US four State. countries. It's only, only those four countries. countries. Wow, yeah.
1: yeah. So th- the reason I ask is, I mean, so one of, I have thought about this as to why is this, and I mentioned this earlier, there is this placebo response creep, and I completely agree with Sophia. And uh, that eighty percent—I mean, this is eye popping. This is unbelievable. <laughs> there is the only other study I can think of is an osteoarthritis study we were part of: glucosamine versus chondroitin versus glucosamine chondroitin sub- combination versus uh, celecoxib versus placebo. So there were five groups. This was a large multi-center study done in the US in the Veterans Administration to once and for all answer whether glucosamine chondroitin really work. And people were told that you are getting you are participating in glucosamine chondroitin studies and patients were excited. This (laughs) study filled up pretty quickly because there is this general belief that glucosamine chondroitin works. And in that study, the sort of placebo response rates were 65%, 70% or something like that. It was eye-popping as to how much people believed in this. And the reason I bring that study up is because people nowadays believe that these drugs, biologics are amazing and they see the advertisements and they expect I'm participating in the study. And so there is that expectation bias, which has led to high placebo response rate, which in the past, there was no such expectation in patients in ankylosing spondylitis, original studies on etanercept and infliximab, etc. So I think that is what I'm thinking. Um, I, I, I just had a question, Hedeto, You the, that last uh, sentence that you um, said, I mean, this IL-23 doesn't work and this is, it's very clear, hmm. but then there's some IL-23 dependent and IL-23 independent pathways in specific tissue different times. I, I just want you to expand a little bit on that, what, what do you think? Why is that IL-23 doesn't work? Okay.
2: So I don't know. So because it's a AS patients, so radiographic, so later stage. So how about the very, very early stage of actual spa or some actual PSA. So I think that uh, for endocytosis, IL-23 works, but it, Depends on the stage of the disease. For rheumatoid arthritis, someone says that R seventeen may be involved in the very very early stage, but not the obviously uh, rheumatoid arthritis stage. So some difference with the phase, or as well as the site um, tissue specificity is very important for the pathogenesis of
1: actual SPA. I think. Do you think IL twenty three is in the early stage is important in the pathogenesis? IL twenty three, if it is important in the early stage but not in the late stage, then if you you give IL twenty three, yeah, if you give IL twenty three inhibition in an established disease, then it's not really Mm. going to work because it's not really so. That's the different in times and Mm. specific tissues. That's very important and interesting as well because IL twenty three inhibition clearly works in the enthesitis of peripheral. Um, hmm. skeleton uh, but the endocytosis of the axial skeleton clearly il 23 is not working so that's the difference in the tissues so difference in the tissues and difference in the times hmm. yes both that, that, that that's a very interesting um, way of explaining this and I,
0: I think also the hypothesis that there is still the possibility that there's still IL-17 in circulation that is not inhibited by the IL-23, although it's the same axis, and therefore um, the disease remains active and and is not controlled Mm -hmm. with IL-23 inhibition. That's also a possibility.
1: Yep. Can can, can I ask a last question or just one question? Another one is to, do you, both of you, either of you believe that IL-23 inhibition would work in axial PSA?
2: That's a very nice question, because um, I agree with uh, some uh, Brown and also Landry's paper said, and I believe that the patient with psoriasis see the improvement of thoracic skin disease and sometimes peripheral joint disease, then it's very difficult to mm. feel no improvement in backbone or something. So it's kind of a coexistence bias.
0: And Hmm. I think before we go into that, I think we clearly have to have an agreement on what is actual PSA and (laughs) is it really a separate entity or (laughs) is it close to actual SPA? And therefore, uh, so I, I, and and as you know, uh, there are developments in the field, and there's the AXIS study ongoing that I think will give us clarification of a consensus definition of what is actual PSA, and then it's suitable to investigate it.
2: Yep, yep. Thank you. Yes, thank you.
0: Okay, yes, thank, you. thank you very much thank you. Uh, for this interesting discussions. Now, thank you all for joining us for this uh, Action SPA podcast brought to you by the CSF. We really hope you find it useful. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to our channels on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you want to read more about what we've discussed today, head over to cytokinesignaling.com where you'll find detailed summary slides of each of the papers. See you next time.